Welcome to Business Done Differently, the podcast about challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game in business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is one of the brilliant men who turned poop to gold. Yes, the Daniel Harmon from the Harmon Brothers, who are known as some of the best marketers of our time. They've helped to launch Squatty Potty, Poopery, Purple, Camp Chef, and many more into multi-million dollar businesses and household names. Their clients' ads have been seen over 1.4 billion times and have driven over 400 million in sales. Yep, as the Harmon Brothers website says, that's a crap ton of eyeballs. And he's here today on Business Done Neverly to share with us how they've done it. Daniel, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm fired up. I know we connected a few months prior. I've been following you guys for years, obviously some hits. And we have to set up just a little bit of context because I think, Daniel, we both started as unpaid interns at one point in our career. So can you give a little of a context on how you started to where you guys are now? Yeah. Well, for me personally, like you said, I went through ad school, but I think it goes back further than that. Our experience in marketing or the approach that we have to marketing and advertising goes back to door-to-door sales. My brothers and I, we grew up in Idaho and we worked on Idaho potato farms. <laughs> and, yeah, and we ended up selling potatoes door-to-door. So we would gather up these 50 pound boxes of potatoes from like my uncle's farm and we would you know, drive them, I'm sure illegally, across the border down to Utah and knock on the doors of big families and sell potatoes. And we didn't know really much of anything about sales principles other than, hey, I'm selling this box of potatoes. And our pitch was essentially, I'm earning money either for college or to pay for a mission that I'm going to go on for my church. Do you eat potatoes? (laughs) And then people would either say yes or no, 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 we just eat rice. (laughs) We actually heard that a few times. And yeah, we would sell these 50 pound boxes for $20 a piece kind of look at our cost of goods of what it took to, you know, pay for the gas to come down, our time, buy the potatoes and all that, and then add up the money. And we were making more than we would have been at the time at a minimum wage job. I think we were making somewhere around like $12 an hour, um, which was great. Um, And so that was our first jump into sales. Later on in college, I actually sold alarm systems door to door for an ADT authorized dealer. And I learned a lot more about a structure of a sale of how to kind of grab people's attention, how to relate to a problem or, or spell out a problem for them and then provide a solution with the product that you're selling. And uh, my brother Jeffrey and I were two of the top salesmen in the company there in our first year. And I ended up doing it a couple of years in a row, learned that I did not like it as a career <laughs> doing cold calling door to door. But so much of that selling experience informs how we approach video marketing. And it was later on college, I studied advertising and getting back to the point where you were at, where you're talking about my first job out of college was actually an unpaid job. It was as an unpaid intern for a big agency in Chicago called BBB. But I was working on accounts like McDonald's, the Chicago International Film Festival, Bell, those, those kinds of things. And from there, my brother's became co-founders of a company called Aura Brush. They sell a tongue cleaner that helps, basically helps cure bad breath. 90% of your bad breath comes from stuff that collects on your tongue. Yeah. And uh, cleans that off really well. And they were using YouTube as an avenue for getting the word out about the Aura Brush. 
And the video campaign that they created and I consulted on was the first, um, the first video campaign to ever be used on YouTube where you would spend a dollar and knew you were getting more than a dollar back. And this was when YouTube had just barely started running ads on the platform. They had been bought by Google yeah. um, and Google started experimenting with trying to monetize this free, cheap, you know, viral video uh, platform. And then now they're introducing ads to it. So Orbrush was buying up all kinds of ads, but that led to distribution within Walmart, uh, Walgreens, CBS, companies all over the world. And eventually uh, Orbrush being bought by Dentech and that experience there got us noticed by a little company in Texas called Poopery. And she reached out to my brother, Jeffrey, and said, oh, you guys have got to be the ones to, you know, to do this. I know specifically you're the guy I need for, for being able to pull off this campaign. And so, Jeffrey, we were at a point where Orabrush, we were all at Orabrush at the time. Jeffrey and my brother, Neil, were co-founders. I had been brought in as an art director there. And we didn't really see eye to eye with where the company was going mm-hmm. at that point. And so we resigned from it to do the poopery campaign. And that was an all in moment for you guys because it was. It leaving, was. You're leaving what brought you success and doing something you've never really completely fully done. Yes. I mean, there were some things we were replicating in yes. the campaign and that we were going to YouTube and we were going to, you know, do this direct consumer kind of approach. Poopery had had a lot of success with boutiques in yeah. being able to sell their product in that way, but it never reached any kind of large distribution, yep. I think they may be fine trying to remember if they were in Bed Bath & Beyond b- before the campaign or after. But at any rate, I know that the sales went crazy, but essentially we did this little campaign for them. We were thinking we were going to be ended up joining that company. And so we needed a place to put the money to create the campaign that Poopery was going to pay us. And so middle of the night kind of decision, my brothers were like, well, let's just call it Harmon Brothers. And then we'll change it later if we have to. (laughs) And when the campaign launched and started getting picked up by Huffington Post and by Adweek and Advertising Age and all these different publications, they were citing creative agency Harmon Brothers. We were just sitting around my brother's kitchen table going, are we an agency? (laughs) That's not an agency. (laughs) Because we, I mean, we technically done this campaign for hire from a client, even though we thought we were going to be part of that company. Well, I guess that makes us an agency. And so the name kind of stuck from there. And that's kind of where Harmon Brothers started is transitioning out of Orabrush. And our first campaign was Poopery and it blew up all over the place. And that got us the name recognition and that got Poopery, you know, they were sold out for, I, I can't remember how long it was, but now they're, you know, Poopery continued to build off of that brand and that persona that we um, created there. And they now I think Poopery in the neighborhood of like a $300 million company. I forget what the latest <laughs> estimate is. Well, I think that's, uh, first of all, brilliant creativity with the name of your agency. I mean, absolutely brilliant. The Harmon <laughs> Brothers, I mean, you guys nailed it. It's so funny because a lot goes into name. Savannah Bananas was huge for us. That name really put us on the map. But Harmon Brothers, like, no, you produce great work. You know, one of my favorite bands is Dave Matthews Band, and one of their most well-known songs is called Number 41 because it was the 41st song that they wrote. So they didn't know what to call it. It's Number 41. So it's funny, as a creative, you're a creative director. You named it Harmon Brothers. You move on. I do want to dive into the creative process, but maybe we're first with Poopery because that was the first we started to kind of frame and I'm sure it's changed a lot, but you said even with, as an Idaho, you know, potato salesman, which I think that's just, there's so few people out there as an Idaho potato salesman. <laughs> you had the mindset, Daniel, of sales first. And then what I've heard you later say is art second, sales first. You've took that mindset. Can you tell a little bit how that came into starting Poopery and moving from there? 
Yeah, so at the end of the day, we knew that if the campaign that we did for them did not move their top line revenue, it was going to be a failure no matter how sexy it looked, no matter how funny it was, none of that was going to matter unless it sold first and foremost. And so that's how we approached it is that sale had to come through very clearly. And I mean, I'm a branding guy. So I've always wanted brand to be a part of that, but I don't lose sight of what ultimately the purpose of advertising is to sell something, especially when you're an early stage company like that, you need to dependably put in a dollar and get more than a dollar back. You can't play the game of the giant, you know, multinational corporations where they're just spreading advertising out all over the place. That is an approach that works to have a portfolio and to be on all these different platforms and to be constantly having eyeballs in all these different areas. And eventually it comes back to you. That does work at that stage but not at a stage for a company like Poopery. It has to be able to sell. And so that was the approach. And as far as the creative process goes, my brother Jeffrey had this idea for being able to talk about a taboo subject like your stinky poo with an eloquent British woman. We just felt like that would soften the whole thing, allow people us to say things that we could never get away with if I was saying it, for example, you know? And so that was the original concept was, okay, let's get a British woman to talk about some stuff that a lot of people would consider either taboo or crass. And then the other aspect of it was to have her kind of go from place to place on a toilet the whole time where places where people would normally feel embarrassed because if they needed to go to the bathroom, they would be so worried about stinking the place up or whatever it was and places you would want to use poopery, like in the office or, you know, at your boyfriend's apartment or, <laughs> you know, whatever those different um, circumstances were. And so that was kind of the core concept of it. And then brought in another writer, Joel Ackerman, who ended up was the lead writer on it. And he brought a whole bunch of the jokes and a whole bunch of the creativity that you see in it. And it was just a very collaborative process. And, and one of the things that we've maintained to this day that kind of started with Poopery was a writing retreat. Mm. It's where different writers will come together and collaborate in the same space over the course of anywhere from a day to two days. Usually it's two days for this scale of videos. And where you problem solve there with the client, where they're a participant with you and so that everyone's bought in it's not us just selling something in but they're helping us problem solve and recognizing stuff that we can't and vice versa right where they're saying no we actually can't say that because that's a legal thing we get ourselves into trouble okay or know that we know that offends our customers and so okay we'll avoid that and then at the same time we're saying to the client they're like oh we want us to talk about this we're like that's a fun little feature for some people but maybe not the feature that you need to focus on, you know, where they get a little bit close to things and we can kind of have a step back from that and be able to talk more objectively, have fresher eyes for things. So it's a very collaborative process. And and we check our phones into a basket and there's a raffle where if you have to use your phone, you can do that. It just costs you $20. You have to put $20 into a pot that's raffled off at the end for anybody that doesn't use their phone because the idea is focused, solve the problem. It's really put yourself in that mindset to get done what needs to get done mm-hmm. in that time frame. And so when you put boundaries around yourself with your creativity, mm-hmm. things become a lot more creative, ironically. Creativity thrives within restraint. And yeah. so that's a lot of the way we approach our writing retreats. Yeah, we have the mindset too, constraints bring out creativity. So if you get the boundaries, the constraints, you know, what's interesting, Dan, you talked about obviously the first poopery, you have this British, you know, beautiful, elegant woman talking about poop. And, you know, one of the concepts that we've learned is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. 
And so when you ever say like this, you go this way. And that's why, you know, the first thing are baseball players, they do choreographed dances every game. And so baseball players aren't supposed to dance. It's why we sell Dolce and Banana underwear at our games because baseball teams aren't. So it's those polar that it seems like a lot of your humor. I mean, a unicorn that poops, you know, sherbet ice cream, like that's not normal. Like that's an opposite approach. Has that been a lot of kind of the humor that you guys come into the creative process? Yes. So it's some of both. The number one principle for comedy is surprise. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little bit what you're getting at right now is that taking um, an opposite approach. Mm-hmm. One of the tenets that we kind of live by here at Harmon Brothers is that you want to be one step ahead of your audience, not necessarily two steps. Uh, so what I mean by one step is enough to surprise them, but not so far that you're like, you lost me. You know, mm-hmm. that's what happened with the unicorn. The unicorn was a step ahead because no one had ever seen anything quite like that, but it wasn't two steps ahead because it was still based in some reality in that like soft serve ice cream, like colorful soft serve ice cream. That's something everybody would want to enjoy. The internet was already talking about unicorns in magical ways and making all sorts of memes and jokes about them being these creatures that can do all sorts of, uh, of these things. And so it was a little bit founded in that reality and then we added in the element of the prince as the spokesperson to again ground it in the fantasy world. So yes, it's yes. something that people are a little bit familiar with. Okay, that would make sense rather than it just being like a, um, you know, some sort of a used car salesman or something along those lines. It makes more sense that it's coming from a prince where you've got a unicorn living. So when you are two steps ahead, you kind of lose people or you confuse them. And I always say the confused customer never buys. Yeah, um, you just lose them as soon as they um, as as soon as they start having to think and double think about stuff. It's a hard enough decision whether or not just to part with their money, <laughs> but you don't want to add in ambiguity and a lack of clarity to that. And so that's the approach that we have. We try to have elements of surprise, but then keep it grounded in something familiar so that we're not too far ahead of their thinking, if that makes sense. It's so good. You know, you think about now, like with TikTok and all the trends, it's the songs that are familiar. They're seeing this familiar moment and you take it to another level. It's the familiarity, but then the surprise. And uh, you just brought up a great point. Donald Miller, I'm sure you're familiar with StoryBrand. He brought his whole team to a bananas game. We worked with him before and, you know, you confuse, you lose. You confuse, you lose. And I think we try to be so spectacular sometimes. Like, what are you guys even talking about? And I think that's so key. I'm thinking of someone, an entrepreneur right now, myself, and people look at us, we've done hundreds of videos, but we still have two you know, fundamental challenges. Number one is continue to bring in the quite creative people that, you know, the writers, you don't think of a baseball team having writers, creative writers, number one, and then number two, setting up a process for it. So can you share literally how, you know, you start with the people. I think you talk about this in Poop to Gold. Start with the people. Share how you do that. Like, how do you bring in the right people? And then we can get into the process. Yeah, you bet. So if you are trying, for example, like we are, to make your advertising funny, if that's the direction you're going with the brand, then we look for funny people. Funny people are, by trade, they are comedians. They're either sketch comedians or improv comedians or stand-up comedians Mm -hmm. or kind of carving out a a niche for themselves in being comedic actors. But usually they have a background in some sort of stand-up, improvisation, or sketch comedy. And a lot of times they'll have formal training in it. Comedy is a developed skill. Yes, there are people that are more funny than others just by nature, but everyone can take their comedy to another level through practice in the same way that there are people that are more gifted sitting down to a musical instrument 
than playing like something like the piano, but applying the right level of practice changes everything. I don't know if you've ever read the book. I think it's called Peak. Oh yeah, by Chip Conley. I think so. There's several books that are called Peak, but this is the one about the science of um, expertise. It's another peak. Well, there's another one called The Talent Code that deals with some of the same things. Daniel Coyle, yes. Yes. And so um, essentially he talks in there about uh, the belief that exists out there that perfect pitch is something people are born with. Mm -hmm. Just being able to recognize that note. But then there was a guy that wanted to really break the mold of that experiment and see if you took kids from an early age and worked with them in a very specific program, could they actually develop perfect pitch? And it was like, I forget how many kids he did it with. It was like between 40 and 70. I can't remember. It was a big enough sample size. But like every single one of the kids came out when, when the uh, learning was applied at the right time and in the right way, they came out with perfect pitch. And that's something that like, oh, you're just born with. No. So comedians, they develop this skill and trying to make yourself funny when you're not funny <laughs> is not the best avenue to go for. Instead, you know, hire someone that is really talented in that skill and then teach them marketing because marketing is much more about systems. There's creativity and stuff. That, there's things that apply in the same way that it does to comedy and that you test certain messages on your audience and you see how that works out. But it is easier to teach marketing to a comedian than it is to teach comedy to a marketer. That's how we approach that. So with the starting point, say, all right, someone like me, an entrepreneur, say, we're looking for comedy writers for our promo pieces throughout the year. And then what you've said, I've said, is you test a lot of these people. Like, I love it. Like you said, most of our creative team started as interns, A, and then you also test them with projects. So you say, I'm looking for a contractor, or a subcontractor to do a few pieces. Is that how you do it? That is 100% how we do it. I do not think I am a great interviewer. I do not think resumes hold much value. I'm only concerned with what kind of work have you produced, yeah. and then how do we work together? I don't care about your, your degree. I don't care about your pedigree, your background, none of that stuff. For me, it's all about what work have you done? Yes. And then how are you to collaborate with? And then what shared values do we have? So basically, so have a project. So, hey, we're doing this promo for our game in kilts. All right, we're playing in kilts. We need to do a promo. Hey, we're looking for one person to work on this. Send it out. Three people do it. And we can pay them for their work. But yeah. then which one do we like the best? How does that collaboration? Is that We're always trying out new writers. Some work out better than others. It can be a little seek or swim with us. But... I think we've also gotten to a point where we give people a few more chances at bat. If we see that they're hardworking, they're really trying to contribute, even yeah. if it doesn't click for them the very first time. It's good to um, work with. And yeah, work with them, develop, help mentor. And that's very much how we approach it is the interview is more, let's just work together. And yeah. then after we've done a few contract projects together, then it's just going to make more sense to move into more of a full-time type of relationship. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, we've got interns, but we know that interns and writers. I love that. And so now the process and system, you, in the book said successful culture is not just the people, but also the systems. Harmon Brothers systems maximize productivity and the humanity of imperfect people. There are a lot there, but the processes, I mean, putting processes on creativity, like I'm a creator, you're a creator. It's like, but we talked about the boundaries and constraints. Can you share just a little bit the process? So we bring in this person. What's the yeah. process to produce the best creative action steps moving forward? Yeah, there's a very simple formula to coming up with great ideas. It's come up with a lot of ideas and then find the ones that are good. You're going to come up with a lot of crap while you're trying to come up with a good idea and you kind of have to not think of those as bad ideas, but more as fertilizer yes. for your good ideas. 
And was that a crap uh, pun in, intended there? The vertical. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that was intended. I know puns with bananas, banana peel. I know all that. So go on. <laughs> no, but very much. The, all those quote unquote bad ideas are really just fertilizers. So they're actually good ideas in disguise that are helping nurture those good ideas coming up. So what you do is you take these writers that have developed this skill set and then you put them through a process of reviews and brain trust. So getting feedback from people that have fresh eyes to the project. Every one of us, as a writer, as a creative, we get too close to the things that we come up with. We care about them too much. And so we have to go through the process of getting feedback. Any entrepreneur has to do this. Any innovator has to do this with their their product, their service, or whatever they're coming up with, is you want to get real feedback from the market. Comedians are used to doing that. They go and they do open mic nights where they'll stand up and they'll do just two or three minutes of new material and then they'll just see what bombs and they'll keep the jokes that work and it might be only two that night. It talks about this a lot in the book Creativity Inc. that they use brain trust. We were using this before we actually had an official name for them. That's where we learned the name for it was in Creativity Inc., which is about Pixar's process. And so at key points in the project, like after the script, is quote unquote finished. You want to have that reviewed by people that are as close to it and give feedback. See what jokes are actually working. Is the message coming through clearly? Is the sale compelling? Is it making me feel anything emotionally? And then it's the same process when you get to your first edit, when you add your graphics in. At every stage of it, you have people that are less familiar with the project that come in and view it. And hopefully they're even within your target demographic. If not, it's good to pull people in that are in your target demographic and just get real candid feedback. You're asking to get your feelings hurt. You're asking to be embarrassed. It's better to be embarrassed in in front of a handful of people than in front of millions on the internet. I love it. I think what I've heard from you, Dave, before is that you'll have a few in the writers. So the first key is you get out of your normal element of work, like where that is. Like, it's funny, like they say, I know what the stat is, but like most creative ideas do not come from work, which is where you need the most creative ideas. And I've heard right. you say it's in the bathroom without a phone or we know it's yeah. water and other things. And But talking about the process here, you guys have a few different people come up with a script, right? And they all write a script independently and then they read it out loud and you get feedback there. And I've told our team, I go, if we have a script that we read out loud and we're not laughing, it's not going to be that much better on video. It's not working. Like, so like the other day we, cause we're selling the Dolce and banana underwear and everything we do is free shipping. We took inspiration from the Kmart commercial way back in the day. And it's yeah. like, you know, when I ship my underwear, you ship your what? Yeah. yeah. Holy yeah. shit. We were laughing and like bananas underwear, it's worth a ship. And like, we kept doing it. We're playing a lot with this crap theme, but a poop theme. But anyways, we read it out loud and we were laughing so hard. We knew that it would work. And so in this brain trust, you have people bring it in. They read the scripts around other people, fresh eyes, and then say, what are the best parts? And then put together a script and then you go to the next phase. Is that correct? Yeah. So we'll, we'll take one of those scripts and use as our backbone what we feel is like the best concept for the best sales structure starting point to build off of and then you very much have to check your ego is we'll actually start at the concept phase and run different concepts by people just like a paragraph to kind of give people the idea and hone in on one of those and let all the writers take their own approach on that just that concept so that they're not all writing off and you want to have higher efficiency you get everybody grouped up on the same concept and have them write in their own way to that. And then that 
makes it meld together better at that point for the variety retreat. So, and then the testing, testing is everything. So I just want to get a little bit further. So you test it there, but then you also test the videos and then you test the videos on the platforms to see what it's responding. I mean, it sounds like everything is just test, 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 test. Yes. Yes. There's like, when you really dive into the nuts and bolts of great creativity, it's actually somewhat uninteresting <laughs> because it's just a long series of trial and failure. It's not any like any brilliant person that's just come up with this eureka idea. That might be an element of it, but it's more so really dedicated, hardworking people willing to try a lot of stuff along the way and kind of hone something. I mean, it's almost like, and I don't want to compare any of my work to Michelangelo, you know. Go there. Definitely go there. Go there. To David, you know, that statue of David there in Italy, I haven't even been, been to see I mean, I've seen it on the internet, but I think the quote from him is he just, he chipped away everything that didn't look like David, right? And that's a little bit, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but <laughs> that's a little bit of what happens with this stuff is as you go through it, you're putting so much stuff out there and bit by bit, you're learning what is not working. And yeah, it's just a lot of being willing to embarrass yourself until you come up with something that doesn't anymore. <laughs> We're going to get into that embrace embarrassment in a second. I could tell no more stories on that, but I'm actually going to quote, you quoted me once on LinkedIn. So I'm going to quote you here. Great creativity is work. It's iteration. It's experimentation. It's messy. In order to get to the great stuff, you had to get through a lot of the bad stuff in the process. That's it. I mean, that's literally it. And I think your ads now are so much more through now that, I mean, you hit gold in the beginning with the first few, you learn the process yeah. and now it's a framework that you can use. Does success hold you back at all? If you know the framework from creativity? Does success, okay. Can you further define that question? How, and what do you mean success? So, so if you learn, this is the way you've done it. Okay. And this is the way you do it. Does that hold you back from getting even more creative and trying new things? Oh, it can. For yeah. sure. Yeah. If you get complacent and you never try to do anything different, it can become formulaic. What I mean by that is in Hollywood, if you read Don Miller's book, Building a Story Brand, he talks in there about how all the major blockbusters essentially are following the same story format, right? We don't get tired of that storytelling format if there's always something fresh applied to it, right? If it becomes too much of the same thing, and some people have had this criticism from time to time of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of the Marvel movies, of, oh, it's just becoming too predictable. But I'm like, it is, but I'm still enjoying myself. <laughs> I'm still really liking this, even though I can kind of see what's coming in some cases. They're keeping enough things fresh that I'm still into it. And when they stop adding enough fresh things and it becomes too predictable, Again, that element of surprise doesn't apply just to comedy. It applies to storytelling in general. Then it can really get you into trouble. And we're always trying to innovate on ways to use the same principles to tell different stories. And yes, you can get stuff. We've had our own ads that we have felt like, oh, it felt like we got a little too formulaic up there. There's a time and a place for that. That Sometimes that works, right? There's a reason why if you go to a grocery store, there's a whole bunch of different brands of bread. Because bread still works. <laughs> like whether it's going to gluten-free or whether it's, you know, got some fancy like oatmeal flakes on the top or whether it's an 100% whole wheat or white or whatever it is, there's all sorts of different ways to do bread and bread still works. And there's that many variations on it because it's, it's still working. So this style of advertising that we do 
still very much works. If you look at like traditional TV 30 second ads, there's also a lot of formulas that are applied there, but it's all about how you're being creative within those guardrails so that it feels fresh, so that it feels like something new, so there's an element of surprise. I love it. I mean, find the familiarity so people can connect with it. Following a story arc, you win when you tell stories. I mean, our underdog story from sleeping on an airbed, selling only two tickets to having every game sold out, we have to tell that every time. Like we have That's to, right. like, oh, That's this right. is what you're doing. And so yeah. we understand that. It's like a, if a band, you know, they have to play their hits. They can't just go into their venue and not play right. some of their hits. People are like, what are you doing? So I, I do want to get into some games, but I want to dive here first. Idea generation. We've talked about how you bring in the writers. They bring all these different things. We have idea paloozas, which are monthly, which are the most fun we've ever had. I mean, they're amazing. You do a thing I wrote about hypo lab. Can you explain how that's different than like a writer's retreat? Like, how are you guys generating your ideas? Yeah, so we get together with the ad buyers and we formulate ideas based on just different hypotheses of like, how would it work if we took this piece of content and we changed the beginning and actually used this part from the center and move that forward to the beginning, how would that test? Or what about what type of headlines are working or what type of visuals are working for the thumbnails? And so it's a collaborative process where we're trying to get more inspiration across teams of different insights of people that are watching the numbers day to day within things like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, because they can provide insights that we can't otherwise when we're just, you know, out making videos, doing the writing, doing all that stuff. So yeah, that is very much a collaborative, just kind of brainstorming type process around you know, what can we do to make our campaigns? How do we need to evolve? Because the, the platforms are always going to be evolving. They're always going to be favoring different types of content. Facebook's algorithm in particular, they get more money if they're able to have more ad placements. So in order to have more ad placements, they need shorter ads. And so they favor shorter ads over longer form. The longer form still works, but if you don't have shorter form mixed into it, and maybe even heavily so, then you're going to kind of be up a creek. And so you kind of have to be thinking in terms of not just a single video, but a whole portfolio of content that you have to be approaching with. I love it. I love, Daniel, how you ask the questions in HypoLab, how it starts with a question. You know, it's a question like, what if we do this? What if we do that? Yep. We got idea palooza's like come up with promotion ideas, but then we started changing it to questions. And we said, well, what would it take to make fans want to stay to the end of the game? In baseball, that never happens, Daniel. So like right, we asked right. our questions and that helped us come up with a brand new game called Banana Ball that's two hours long and it's just nonstop action because you asked the right question. So if you want to get better ideas, ask better questions a lot of the time. All right. Are you ready for some games, Daniel? I'm ready. All right. This is going to do some games. This first one is Truth and Dare. Which one do you want first? Truth and Dare or Truth or Dare? Truth and Dare. We, it's okay. business done differently. We don't do things normally. So which one do you want first? Let's go for Truth. All right, truth. So the first truth, what's the hardest lesson that you've learned in the business? It's the hardest, and I'm still learning it, is that failure is part of the process. I still don't like to fail. I still don't like embarrassment, but you have to embrace embarrassment. You have to embrace failure as part of the process to do anything great. Love it. I will talk about embrace embarrassment. A lot of people are afraid of that. So, all right, Daniel, are you ready for the dare? Yes. Let's go for the day. All right. So this is a game we do at the stadium. It's called the sing-off. We have 2,000 people in one part of the stadium versus 2,000 in the other part of the stadium, the grandstand versus the middle bleachers. And we play a song. And when the song stops, you have to finish those song lyrics. Are you mentally prepared? <laughs> no, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> all right. We'll do it. It's a dare. It's a dare. All right. We just talked about embracing embarrassment. So I think this is very fitting. All right. Here we go. And the song does fit a little bit what you guys do. Here we go. I know you like to bang, don't stay, but leave a little bit closer. 
Leave a little bit closer, something, something. Can't remember the lyrics to the don't know the song at all. Oh, that was close. Roses really smell like boop, boop, boop. Outcast, all right? Okay. I was going back. I was like, the roses. Is there any songs that say poo poo? Because from poop to go, everything you're doing, I thought we'd go. I should know that one. You were going with it. I'll give you a half a point. Half a point for that right, one. Half a point. All right. Let's finish with a little rapid fire. The future of marketing. What's changing? So, for instance, Long-form video, started with YouTube, then you really started dominating Facebook. For us, TikTok has been the game changer. We have more followers than every major league baseball team in the country, which is crazy. It's short form. How are you guys evolving? Where do you see the future of marketing and creating new customers and fans? Man, I wouldn't even begin to guess which platform is gonna be after TikTok. That's gonna take away, but I think the future of marketing is privacy. And so that means less ability to target who you want to target at least the way that we're familiar with doing it now. And I think it means that more branding is going to be needed at earlier stages with companies. And because you have to kind of put a lot of stuff out there and wait for some of it to come back and not all of it is going to be as directly trackable as it once was. So interesting. So you believe in sales first, art second. Now it may be pivoting to get the brand out there, build trust because people want to buy, they don't want to be sold. Yes, there's a little bit of that. People crave authenticity more than almost anything else right now. But I'm, what I'm referring to is the platform systems and their ability to allow you to target very granularly seems to be going away more and more as people crave more and more privacy. Makes sense. Okay. All right. I've been grilling you a little bit. It's called Flip the Script. You're the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. Oh, uh, well, I mean, obviously a banana. Or the yellow hat. Yellow and, uh, I believe in standing out. Everything we do, it amplifies me. P.T. Barnum influence. But yes, that's yellow tux. Do you want to do another one? Yes, I'll do another one. The hardest job you ever worked. Hardest job I ever worked. My mind doesn't go there. The reality- okay, so let me rephrase it. Yes. Least favorite job you ever had. <laughs> I started as an unpaid intern at 22, became a general manager at 23 because the team I was taking over was the worst team in the entire country. There was only $268 in the bank account, became a managing partner, bought the team, bought another team, was sleeping on an airbed because we couldn't sell tickets. This has been my life. This has been my job. So I would say the least favorite, the hardest is when you have to sacrifice everything for your team. And you know, when it happened five years ago and we had to sell our house and empty our savings account, even this past year when we didn't let anyone go, and we actually kept everyone's salary and we had to sacrifice to make sure everyone was taken care of on our team. And now we've hired three more full-time in the middle of a pandemic and live. So I think the hardest is when you have to realize, hey, put other people before you and realize that, hey, short-term, it's going to be tough, but long-term it wins. Absolutely. That's awesome. We have- and I know you guys talk, you know, prioritize quality over profit. You've done so many things in your business that you guys have done the same as well. We did the same thing. We had a meeting as partners and we decided we were not going to fire anybody when everything turned south on us that we weren't going to take profits for a while to make sure that that happened. Mm -hmm. And and the same thing, we made it through all last year and did not have to lay anybody off. I love it. That's amazing. All right. Question time. If you want better answers in business, you got to ask better questions. So what are some of the questions you're asking these days? The main questions I'm asking, especially of my employees is what are you doing to innovate? Are we sitting around? and doing the same old, same old, but what are we doing as innovators individually? Are we innovating on our systems? Are we innovating on our approaches to satisfy the need of our clients? Are we innovating on the platforms that we're trying out, the formats? Are we innovating on the type of stories that we're telling? It's all about what are we doing to innovate? 
That's a question right there, everyone. Write that down. How are you innovating individually right now and challenge your team? We judge our team by the experiments they do per quarter. It's not by sales. It's not by revenue. It's by experiments. Question, how are you innovating? What experiments are you doing now? And the experiments is a great way to judge it because rather than judging it by the successes that come through, those will come through if you have enough experiments. So it's the number of at-bats. Ah, now you're speaking my language. You know, the major league player that had the most at-bats in history also had the most hits, Pete Rose. 14,000 at-bats. Of course he had 4,000 hits. He had 14,000 at-bats. <laughs> you got me going there. That's so good. That's so important to talk about. Jeff Bezos said, our success is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. Anybody constantly. Love it. One creative habit. You know, everyone asks, oh, I'm not creative. Well, we're all creative. You don't, maybe you're not thinking creatively, but what's a creative habit to bring up better creativity? Give yourself time for white noise. What I mean by that is you have to have a space where your brain is allowed to wander, whether that's in the bathroom, in the shower, on the toilet, means get rid of your cell phone, or if it's out like while walking your dog or while gardening, you need to have something mundane and boring in your life that you do with such repetition and with such habit that your brain can do something else while it works on that. That is when some of the best stuff comes is when some of the subconscious is able to do more of the work rather than you just consciously trying to hit your head against a brick wall and solve things. It's all about having that moment of quiet and peace that brings, I think, more creativity than almost anything else. It's such a good point, too, because we think about our kids. I know you have six kids, and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and we're foster parents. We're getting into that as well. We got licensed. When you look at the kids, they always have toys. They always have things to play with. When I hear from my father, he's like, we used to go outside for eight hours. Go outside. How often do we actually go outside and not bring our phone or talk to someone or have to feel? That's We're missing those creative moments. So every day, I think that's a great idea. How can you get some noise and embrace boredom? I'm going to go be bored for 30 minutes that's and right. enjoy it. I love it. I love it. All right. Last few here. Fans first, Daniel. The name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Everything we believe is in fans and how to create fans first moments. Does a fans first moment stick out for you either that's happened at Harmon Brothers, something you guys have done for a client or someone's done for you or your team? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we approach everything as at Harmon Brothers. When we go into our campaigns, we approach everything from the mindset of a customer. Mm -hmm. So the starting point for us is to use the product or service ourselves and put ourselves in those shoes. Find out what we love about it. Find out what the aha moment of like, oh, I totally get this. This is why this is so cool. So I feel like when you get away from becoming the customer itself, from that starting point, then that's when things kind of go off the rails. There's a book called The User Method. Hmm. And it talks about how things like Facebook, or some of the great innovations in the world were started by an entrepreneur that were solving a problem ultimately for themselves yes. more than they were even trying to solve it for anybody else. They weren't looking at an opportunity out there and being like, oh my gosh, you know, we could make so much money if we did this thing. Mm -hmm. They were more saying to themselves, this problem exists in my life. I'm going to fix this. And it's all of a sudden like you have a prototype for this new thing. And I think when you have that, you when you solve the problem and when you, when you understand it for yourself as a customer, then that gives you so much more insight than trying to approach it from the outside. So good. You know, I think about what we do. We're talking about boredom, embrace boredom, but I get bored 
at our games. And if I'm getting bored, you know, that at a regular baseball game, the games are too long, too slow boring. So I'm trying to solve to make it where I never have to want to do something else. I am glued to the experience of the game. I'm solving my own problem because yeah. baseball's boring. That's good. All right, last two. You know, well, so Jesse, to your point there, what's so amazing about that is that you have embraced and fully understand that baseball is an entertainment medium. Like people can say all day long, there's a sacredness to the sport. And it's all these different things. Yes, but the sport only survives in as much as it solves a problem for people of being entertaining. Yes. And that's why a lot of people moved away from it is because they found like, this isn't as entertaining for me as these other things. And so I love that you're kind of taking this right. approach of like, we are an entertainment medium. So let's embrace that. That's what business were. We say we're a circus and a baseball game may break out. Like that's who we are. Last year, what does go bananas mean to you? Go bananas means try everything. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That says it all right there. And then finally, hey, what I've thought with you guys, and I've been following for a long time, you create unforgettable ads. You know, you're creating unforgettable experiences for your teams. And I love the word unforgettable. I think too many companies are unremarkable. And how do you go from unremarkable to unforgettable? My question to you is, what makes someone unforgettable? What value they add to other people's lives. So if someone is outward focused and they know that, and you know that about them, that they serve others, that they want to help others, that they're not out for themselves, that makes a person unforgettable. If they are selfish and all about them and it's not about anything outside of themselves, I think it becomes a much more forgettable person. So good. On the back of our fans first playbook, it says, be patient in what you want for yourself but be impatient in how much you give to others. And that, my friend, is what you guys have been doing. Daniel, this was a lot of fun. I need to go back and try to get more creative ideas. I don't need to go embrace some boredom, then embrace some embarrassment, then go to a hypo lab and make all this happen. But seriously, thank you so much. And, and you're still offering courses to teach how you guys do it, correct? Yep, yep. We have our entire internal playbook. This is our own training that we do with our own writers, our own producers, editors, all of it. HarmanBrothersUniversity.com. There's a whole bunch of different courses there that allow you to get started at pretty much, you know, kind of whatever level you're at. And yeah, we don't hold anything back. It's all our secrets and stuff out there. Yeah, you can go and take that and, and enjoy. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing better stories and bringing out more creativity in the world. We need it and you're doing it, my friend. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe that challenging the status quo, creating fans first, and changing the game is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered in this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.